0: So we believe that God has given us a mission as uh, individuals, as believers, but also as a church. And uh, if you've been going to Gateway for a while, then you know this. If you're new to Gateway, then uh, this month's going to give you a chance to kind of uh, find out what our core values are, what really makes us tick, what what drives us. We say this, that we have a mission statement. Every church has a mission statement. In fact, almost probably every business today has a mission statement. Ours really centers around three words. And as we poured through the New Testament and uh, what scriptures teach, we believe that the Really comes down to three things, three key words. Those words are know, grow, and show. We believe that these are the things that God has called the church and believers together to do to know, to grow, and to show. So when we talk about know, talking about knowing Christ, we talk about grow, we're talking about growing together as a spiritual family, and when we talk about show, we're talking about showing God's love to the people that are around us. And today we're going to kind of dive into this series, we're going to talk about knowing Jesus, and so I'll just say right off the top, like, so I hadn't preached for a while, and I had a lot to say, and uh, my outline was a little more um, aggressive, I think, than there was time for. So I got through the whole outline last night, but I just don't, we're not going to do that today. We're going to get through point one today, and then, uh, you know, you can go listen to it online. Yeah, you'll do that uh, the rest of the sermon. Uh, and don't worry, we'll move on next week. We'll, we'll get it all covered. We're just going to look through point one, knowing Jesus. Now, Here's something we say a lot, and it's not, you know, uh, unique to us. A lot of people like the same, but the saying that goes, the main thing in life is to keep the main thing, the what? The main thing, all right? So we talk about that a lot. That's really important. But our kind of big idea for this morning is going to be this, um, that the main thing in life is, and we're going to put it this way, to keep the main thing, my main thing. So what we're going to say is this, that Jesus is the main thing in life, whether you recognize it or not. He is the main thing. He's the Lord of Lords. He's the King of Kings. He is the Savior, the Creator, the God of the universe. But the key for us is not just to know that He's the main thing, but to make Him. We have a choice to make to make Him our main thing. So I went to the internet last week because everyone knows if you need to find out what's true, just... Go to the internet, right? So I went, I just looked up. Like, um, I looked at the phrase, what's the most important things in life, right? Because I figured I'll find it on the internet. And I. F- really it comes down to kind of six things that I saw a lot of, like blogs and surveys and studies where they ask people, what's the most important thing in life? And so here are the six that came up again and again and again. The first one above everything else is health, because they say if you don't have your health, right, you don't have anything, so you need your health. So lots of surveys they will say the most important thing is your health, right? You got you to gotta eat right, you got to exercise, you got to see your doctor regularly and get all your screenings and all that kind of stuff. You gotta take care of yourself so for a lot of people it's it's health a lot of people said it's relationships uh loving relationships with the people around you investing time in your marriage investing time in your family with your kids with your parents with friends it all comes down some people said to relationships it's the main thing more important than anything else some people said it was self-image. This, this kind of came up a lot. It's really important how you feel about yourself. So there's a whole lot of like, you know, you got to cultivate um, your self-image. You got to watch lots of Oprah and Dr. Phil, and you got to, you know, kind of look in the mirror and say, you're awesome, you know, uh, that kind of stuff. This, this came up on, on most lists, self-image. Purpose was another one. Now, there was a lot of people who said the most important thing in life is you have to know why you're getting up in the morning. you got to have a reason. So what a lot of them said was just, but just figure it out. It can be anything you want it to be. Anything you want. Just figure out what it is, and then that's the reason you get up. you got to have purpose to get up in the morning. Another one was financial freedom. Now, this came out a lot, and the reasoning goes like this. If you're financially secure then you 're free to pursue the other stuff, like you know uh, good health and you can invest in relationships because you have time you don 't have to work all the time. Um, you know you look in the mirror and if you can 't say you 're awesome, you can go get elective surgery so you can say you 're awesome um, yeah, for purpose all that kind of stuff uh, financial freedom. another one that came up a lot was happiness and this is kind of a visceral vague kind of i don 't even know sometimes what people meant by it, but they just meant that you know you enjoy. Life if you're, you're happy when you wake up in the morning and, you know, as you go through your day. Now, here's what I'd say. There's nothing wrong with these. In fact, there's, there's a lot of great things on that list. They all have merit, but here's the problem with the things on this list. None of them can really, none of them can fill the main place, the main thing in your life. I mean, if the main thing in your life is health, See here's the reality and I hope this isn't shocking to you but one day you know you're going to die and it, and I don't know that it really matters if you know the moment before you die you were incredibly healthy and and, and buff and you know you had big calves and from running all the time so I like when you're laying and, the you know people are going to be looking at you and going well he's dead but his calves look great you know I mean it won't it won't matter how often you went it won't matter how often you went to the gym when you're dead you're just you're dead relationships are great but you know the older we get, right? Some of those relationships drop off. Some people, you know, they they go on before us and eventually we'll leave all these relationships. And again, it's not that they're not great, but can a relationship with a person be the main thing? Because no one can be everything that you need them to be. Uh, You know, their self-image. And I won't get into that, but there's just issues, you know. You lose hair. There's just things that happen. And, you know, if if that's where... if that's where it lies, there's purpose, right? People come up with their and purpose. Again, what will it matter the day that you exit this life, your financial freedom? I See, to me, one of the big jokes, and I've had several conversations lately with people, and I've kind of seen how this plays out, like, here's a common scenario. Somebody works their whole life, they work really hard, they work long, they save their money, they, you know, they don't go on, you know, really nice vacations, they don't buy nice, nice cars or big homes, they save, they save, they save, and then they die. And when they die, they leave their money to their kids. And what do their kids do? They go out and have really nice vacations, buy a really nice car, right? Like they go out and have all sorts of fun and do... See, that's the thing. You save and you work and you scrimp and you build it out, And then you leave it to people who just go and spend it on frivolous things that you would have never done it on, but you know, don't even... And then there's happiness, right? Again, what is that going to matter? How happy you were when you're laying in the grave and and life is all over. See, because the reality is that, you know, maybe you'll live uh, 80 years, maybe you'll live 90 years, but the thing is, when it's over, it's over. The Bible tells us the main thing in life is none of this stuff, as great as it is. The main thing in life is a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. And if you get just one thing, just one thing right in this life, this would be it that you would know, that you would know Jesus Christ personally. (laughs) Um, Back in the fourth, so back in the fourth grade in the Stone Age, um, I was, uh, and I think they still do this today, but, uh, you know, kind of school was starting, and uh, went and got the testing, you know, they did the test, and they called my parents and said, you know, Bobby can't see, blind is the bad, and, you know, so he needs to get glasses, so I went home. My parents, they thought it was like, you no, know, they're wrong. They can't be right. You know, so they did these little tests and, and they thought, oh, well, we got to send them to the eye doctor. So they sent me to the eye doctor and uh, did the whole test and like, yeah, he needs glasses. And I, so this is like, yeah, this is so long ago. I think they just, in, they just invented glasses when I was in the fourth grade. And uh, the only thing you get was like big black frames, right? So back then, if you wore big black frame glasses, uh, you were a dork. Today you're a hipster, but back then you were a dork, you know? And it was just like a big sign that said, punch me, you know? And uh, so I wore those for, for years and years. I wore those, like it was such a, if maybe some of you have had this happen, like it was such a revelation the first day I went to school, and I was wearing glasses and I could see the chalkboard. I'd always thought that the chalkboard was like this mean trick that the teacher played on the class. She would write things that no one could see and then say, Can you, you know, what does it say? And I'd be like, Oh, look, you can see the chalkboard. That was like super awesome. And then about 10 years ago, I uh, went to see the eye doctor and they're like, Yeah, you know, you gotta, you gotta wear like, he's like, You don't even need bifocals. You need like, Quad trifocals, right? <laughs> like, so I got something called progressives. Anyone wear progressives? Yeah, I, it's okay. You're, you're alright. And so, <laughs> you're right. uh, So I went, and I, they're like, you got to get these progressives. So they're awesome. It's not like bifocals because my eyes are so bad. So a, a progressive is kind of like a, up here is like where you can see, um, you know, I could see Mars from up here. And then it kind of goes down to down here where I'm supposed to be able to read down here. And the, But the problem is when your prescription is really strong like mine, really strong, it gets a little tricky and hard for them to do. And so I've been wearing them for a while. But this going into the summer, I was starting to have some issues like just seeing computer screen and seeing seeing my like my hands you know and so uh, I went back to the eye doctor and they're you know they're like oh well okay you're kind of a you know you're that age and so you need something we call office glasses right? anyone have office glasses but yeah so office glasses are the bomb right like the, like so I get these office glasses like the first time I put office glasses on I'm like oh my computer screen isn't fuzzy. Look, I can see my computer screen. I can read books again. It's pretty cool. So I got office glasses. I like them. They're great. But kind of here's how it works for me. So my regular glasses, again, I could see pretty much from Mars to the middle of the room. And then uh, with my office glasses, I can see, um, you know, pretty much from here to, I'm supposed to be able to see like the computer screen-ish kind of, kind of thing across the, the So the, the problem I have, though, soon I discovered... I have to take two pairs of glasses everywhere I go. I mean, like, I need a mercy. I think, right? (laughs) Gary, don't you have a (laughs) mercy? So (laughs) so, I'm like, I got, you know, I got, I don't, so everywhere I go, I have to decide. I always have to pre-decide what glasses am I going to, am I going to wear, Because right? if I'm going in my office and I'm going to work on the computer, then I get, and I've had a couple times in the last few weeks where I go and I didn't take my office glasses with me and then I can't see the computer screen. So I, in advance, I have to decide if I'm going to be in a meeting, I have to think like, how far are we going to be sitting away from each other, you know? Um, preaching was really the tricky one. This is like, so what do I want to see? Do I want to see my notes or you? Because I, I can't see both. Of course, I want to see you, but um, you know, so I have, but in every situation I have to decide what am I going to, what glasses am I going to wear? I have to pre-decide. And here's why it's so important because I'm not just choosing what I can focus on. I'm also choosing what I won't be able to focus on. And it made me think a lot this summer, kind of just getting used to my glasses and thinking about how it's kind of a great metaphor for life because in this life, we all have to make this decision. What will we focus on? We all need to make that decision. And when we make the decision in life, what will I focus my life on? You are also making a decision on things that you will not focus your life on because you can't make everything the main thing. When we come to Scripture again and again and again and again, Scripture is clear. Only one thing is worthy to be your main thing. Only one thing, and that's Jesus Christ. So our point this morning, and apparently our only point this morning <laughs> in your outline, is this. Make Jesus your main thing. All right, so I'm like a broken record in this, this respect. You're like, oh, I'm coming back from summer break, and I'm just going to preach the same sermon I preached. Like, don't you have anything new? No. Nope, pretty much this. You need to make Jesus your main thing. Now, I want to talk for a few minutes, walk us through a passage in the book of Philippians, chapter three. It's written by a guy named Paul. We talk about Paul sometimes. Paul uh, lived kind of just shortly after uh, the life of Jesus on this earth. Um, Paul was a man who had accomplished a lot in his life. Um, in fact, in Philippians 3, at the beginning of the chapter, he talks about some of that stuff. Paul talks about how he was born into the right family tree. I don't know if for any of you that's, that's an issue. Where I was growing up, that was always a big deal. What's your last name? Who are you related to? Paul's like, I, you know, I got the right last name. I, I was born into the right family tree. Paul was a guy who did all the right rituals, all the, all the religious ceremonies. Uh, He was a guy who had the right education. He was an extremely educated man for his day. Uh, He was very devoted to keeping the law of God. The Old Testament law is very serious about that. Um, he was a very good religious person. That was very important to him. Uh, he had the right career. He was a Pharisee. Um, he accomplished a lot in his career. He was very passionate, so he didn't just have a job. He was passionate about his job. He was passionate about God. Paul would never have been the guy who came into a worship service and just sang a song. Paul would have been the guy standing up front in the aisle with his hands in the air. And people were like, doesn't that guy know to sit down? I can't read the screen." It's like, that would be Paul. He was very passionate. He kept all the right rules. A man with power, a man with status, uh, a a man with wealth. And yet Paul says this in verse 8. This is how he kind of wraps all of this up. He's accomplished all this stuff. Here's his resume. And then he says this. What is more, I consider, that word kind of means to account. It's an accounting term. I consider everything... A loss. All the stuff he just talked about. I consider it all a loss compared to knowing the surpassing greatness, the 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 awesomeness, if you will, of Jesus Christ my Lord. For whose sake he says, I lost all those things. I lost my job, I lost my house, (laughs) you know, I lost my friends, I lost my title, the the college I graduated from, you know, took away my degree. Um, I lost everything. Paul says, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. And I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. I thought about how different that is than what we're hearing in, in, in a lot of churches today. Where people come and, and basically the message is, God just wants to give you stuff. God's just your little genie. Tell him what you want. I need a pay raise. I need, you know, I need a a, a leather chair. I need more square footage. We need granite countertops. And we just kind of tell God everything we want. And God just exists to give us all that stuff. Just imagine how out of place Paul would be in the church today. Because Paul would come in and go, yeah, I don't really need any of those things. I don't I don't really have any prayer requests. Because I know Jesus. <laughs> and that's all I need. I know Jesus Christ. It's like, he says, I, I, I considered it. Like, Paul says, I thought about it. I, I put together a pros and cons list, you know, the whole pros, cons, line down the middle. And I thought a little bit about all the stuff that I could focus my life on. You could focus on your spouse, right? I mean, being married is great. It's an important thing to God. It's a great mystery, Scripture says. It's important. Uh, some people, they pour their whole, they make their marriage the main thing. Paul says, I thought about that. Some people make their kids the main thing. You know, we've all kind of seen that. And everything's about the kids living vicariously through the kids and all that. For some people, their kids are the main thing. For some people, their education, it's, you know, getting the right degree, having the right title. That's the main thing in their life. That's how they identify themselves. And for some, it's their career. And if you ask them, you know, who are you? They'll, you know, say, I'm a, you whatever it is that they do for a living. Like, I don't want to say anything because you're probably one of those. So, But, you know, just like career and health, right? right? People are like, some people make health their main thing, eating right, and getting exercise, and sleeping, and all that. Or for some people, it's just, I want to be a good person. I want to be, I want to be a loving person, a trustworthy person. For some people, it's their wealth. And and see, there's nothing wrong with these things. These are all, they're all great things to pursue. Paul just says, I thought about them all. I, I considered them all, but none of them are really worthy to be the main thing. They're not the main thing that define who you are. In fact, what Paul says is, when I compare them, to knowing Jesus, they're kind of like rubbish. Now, now, that word in the Greek, the word rubbish, is, is a kind of a descriptive word. Sometimes it means just scraps that are thrown to the dogs. Sometimes it means um, like refuse, like trash. But sometimes it means like, it means dung. Right? that's no other way to put it. And I think that's kind of what Paul's going for here. Now, he's not saying, you know, marriage is like dung. Uh, that's kind of not where he's going. He's not, he's not downplaying like, the value of marriage, for instance, when he says that knowing Christ is better. He's not downplaying marriage. Marriage is a very, very important thing. He's just upgrading who Jesus is. He's just saying, you know how great marriage is? Well, it's not even in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ. I was thinking about this the other night. I liked, uh, anyone like to go to Cactus Yaya besides me? Anyone? No? Oh man, thank you. Okay, like awesome restaurant in Vancouver, Cactus Yaya. Now I like to go to Cactus Yaya. They have amazing food. Uh, Usually my wife and I try to connect there, maybe on a Friday night um, when she's on her way home from work. But if I was to tell you, for instance, that, that eating at Cactus Yaya without, and they have a grilled salmon with a jalapeno glaze. It's, oh, it's so good. But if I was to tell you that eating at Cactus Yaya, okay, is like eating out of a trash can when I'm there without my wife. I wouldn't be saying the food isn't good. The food is amazing. All I'm saying is that eating there with my wife, being with my wife, is so much greater. Is so far beyond. I don't, I don't really have any words to describe this, so I'll just kind of, you know, push this down a little bit. And that, I think it's kind of what Paul's doing here. He's saying, um, as great as marriage is, As as great as money is, as great as a career that you love is, as great as kids are, and they're all great. But Jesus is so much better, so much greater than all of those things. He says, nothing compares right here to knowing Christ Jesus. My Lord. Paul says that's the main thing in life it's knowing Jesus. When he says knowing Jesus, he's kind of got two things in mind. He's thinking about a head knowledge. We could call it theology, knowing about Jesus, and then believing that in your heart. So why is knowing Jesus so much greater than anything else in life? Well, he actually doesn't leave us to wonder. He kind of answers the question. He gives us some examples. For instance, he tells us that Jesus is God. When he says, knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, that's what he means. Jesus is God, which is kind of a big deal right i mean just think about it so the bible says some things about jesus that are kind of important he's god he's deity the bible says that he is eternal so again you know like when i think of eternality i it's also hard for me to think of something will never have an end it's harder for me to think of something that never had a beginning and that's jesus never had a beginning never had an end it's kind of a big deal The Bible says he's creator. He was was the agent in the Trinity that was involved in designing you and making you and creating you. Did you know that it's Jesus who gives you life and breath right now through the power of Christ? The Bible says Jesus is sovereign. That means that anything he determines to do, he will do. And nothing can get in his way. The Bible says that Jesus is love. He is love. He's not just the definition of love. He is love. Love love comes from him. That's why the Bible says we love because he first loved us. He's the wellspring, if you will, of love. Um, He's judged. Someday the Bible says that Jesus will judge the living and the dead. That's kind of a big deal. And then he's kind of the omnis, right? Like um, omnipotent, that is all powerful. Omniscient, that is he knows everything. He's truth. I mean, just, just let that sink in for a minute. Paul says, I did. I considered it. I kind of wrote it down. And when I thought about it, I realized there's nothing in life, nothing in life that's even in you remotely as important as Jesus Christ. But he goes on, he gives us some other reasons why. He says, second thing is because Jesus makes me right, or the religious term we would use is righteous. Here's what he says. He says, and to be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes from faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. So he's just talking about the gospel here. Again, when we talk about the gospel and people are like, you know, what's the gospel of God? I like to just think of it this way. It's, it's just a couple of words. Jesus came, lived, died, rose, and saves. That's the gospel. Jesus came, so he was God in heaven. He left heaven. He came down to this earth, born of a virgin. He lived among us. He lived a righteous life. And uh, basically all that means is he lived the life we were supposed to live. He never sinned. He lived the right life. And then he went to the cross. So on the cross, he did an interesting thing. He took our lives that were not lived right. And he he took our sin and he kind of held on to that, if you will. And they nailed him to a cross and he paid the penalty on that cross for your sin and mine. And what the Bible says is that he rose on the third day, he ascended to heaven, and he saves. And the way he saves technically is an interesting, kind of an interesting thing. He offers to you and me an exchange. This is the gospel. The gospel is this, that Christ will exchange his perfect life for your messed up life. That's what he's willing to, sounds like a good trade, right? Like you give him all your sin and your messed up stuff, and he gives you his perfect life. So when you die and get to heaven and God says, you know, why should I let you into heaven? He looks you up and he sees your name. He's like, oh, because you lived a righteous life. You're righteous, right? So that's what he does. That's what he offers to us. Here's a a third thing. And this kind of gets lost on us sometimes. He says this, "That that I may know Christ. Like sometimes we forget that the greatest thing about knowing Jesus is knowing Jesus. Not just what we get from Jesus. Like, I'll tell you that the greatest benefit I get from knowing my wife, Christy, is not clean laundry and dinner. (laughs) It's knowing Christy. Like, clean laundry is great. But the best thing about knowing Christy is knowing Christy. And for those of you who know her, you know what I'm talking about. She's an amazing person to know. The same thing is true when it comes to our Lord Jesus Christ. See, a lot of times what we think about is what we get from him. But the greatest thing that we get is relationship with him. We get to walk with him. We get to experience who he is as we bump up against him in life. As we go through life, we get to experience the grace of God. You know, that's Jesus, his grace. You say, what's the big deal about grace? Well, it's great because every day when we make mistakes, God offers to us forgiveness. He offers to us a free gift, the grace of God. We get to experience the power of Jesus in us. So we're not just on our own in this world, just trying to make our way through. We have a God who works in us, who is powerful, who's looking out for us, who works all things for our good. We get to experience him and know him personally. That kind of leads us to the fourth thing, Paul says, that we get. And that is that we get the power of Christ who transforms, who changes us. And many of you are, you've even experienced that this week. Maybe you can point back to some way that, that Christ is working in your heart this week. He's changing your heart. He's changing your affections. He changes your, 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 your thoughts, your mind, the words that come out of your mouth he has a power that begins to change our actions and our reactions and our character. There's an official word we use, the word sanctification. It's just a, it's a, it's a biblical word that describes what God is doing. He's changing you. And I think one of the biggest discussions I have with people when they come, and you know, I say, Why are you coming to church for the first time? A lot of times people say, I just, I just I need something to happen in my life. I, I don't want to be the same person anymore. I want to be changed. I've tried. I've tried to change. See, the good news is with Christ, He changes you. It takes a while, it's slow, it's methodical, but He changes you. Here's a fifth thing he, Paul says we get when Christ is our main thing He gives us purpose. We have a reason to get up in the morning. Jesus came with a mission to seek and to save the lost. And Jesus always did the right thing, always said the right thing, always the right person, and yet he suffered for it, didn't he? And I love what Paul says here. He says, notice what he says, that I might know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Now watch this. Paul's saying here are all the really great things about knowing Jesus. Are you ready? And that I might share in his, what? See, no one says that really loud. (laughs) That I may share in his suffering. Nobody's like, well, the reason I became a Christian was I just wanted to suffer. I just, life was too easy. Life was too much fun. And yet Paul would say, you know what? I I don't, when I, when I became a Christian, that's not really what I signed up for, but now I'm kind of realizing. He said, everybody in life suffers for things, everyone. But imagine this, Jesus invites us to join him on his mission. To join him to seek and to save. To join him to share the gospel. To share the love of God. To serve people. To be generous with people. To get out there and be the right person. To say the right thing. The loving thing. To minister to people. Because we live in a world full of hurt. And Jesus invites us and he says, Here's the reward you'll get for getting up every morning and getting out there and loving God and loving people. You'll suffer, right? But here's the deal. There's no better path in life. Paul says, I know it sounds weird, but I kind of like it. I kind of like going through life suffering for the right things, for the real things, for the things that will last. He invites us to get in on his mission. Why would we do it? Because it's the main thing. That's why we do it. And lastly, Paul says, and because I get eternal life, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul's just reminding us, you know, the clock is ticking for every one of us, right? Like maybe you'll live 80 years, maybe you'll live 90 years. Next week I'm going to talk about an amazing study that's just been done on people who live 100 years or more. It's some really fascinating stuff. And maybe you'll be one of those people. Maybe you'll live to be 100 years old. But of course, when it's over, it's over, right? And you'll be dead a lot longer than you're alive. That's how it works. Paul says the big question is what happens when you die, Where do you go? What happens? Paul says that faith in Christ results in eternal life. Now think about it for a minute. If that's true, if that's true, then wouldn't it make sense that he would be the main thing in this life? If he's the main thing that gets you to the next life, doesn't it make sense that he'd be the main thing in this life? So Paul just says this. I considered it. I thought about it wrote it all down, did a little accounting. And Paul says, here's what I decided. Jesus is the main thing. We can kind of say just objectively, Paul says, I look at the universe, I look at the Bible, I look at faith. Jesus is the main thing. He's it. If he's the main thing, then why wouldn't I make him my main thing? What would stop me from doing that? How would that make any sense? So Paul says, I've made the decision. Here's the decision I made. The main thing will be my main thing. And at Gateway, we believe this with every fiber of our being. And that's why the first word in our mission statement is no. We want everyone to know the Lord Jesus Christ. It's why we preach it, sing it, pray it, print it, Facebook it, text it, over and over and over again. So practically, what does this mean for you? It means that you need to make Christ your first priority that's what it means for him to be your main thing he's your first priority so one of the ways we often describe that is we're going to put christ on the throne of our of our heart if you will right that's one of the imagery uh, and imagery that we use we see everyone has something on the throne of their life for most people it's them what do i want to do where do i want to go what do i want to buy to put christ on the throne of your life means that you get off he gets on and now the question becomes, what does Christ want to do in me? Where does Christ want me to go? Who does Christ want me to love? How does Christ want me to respond? It's a conscious thing that you do. To maybe make it a little more practical, it means you do stuff like this. When he's the main thing. It means you make him the main thing of, like, your schedule. So for me, one of the things I do when I go, before I go to bed each night... I always look over the next day and I fill in. I'm just one of those persons. I like to fill in my day, what I'm going to do and when I'm going to do it. I like to have it all laid out. Paul would say there's two ways to do it. Where Christ is the main thing and he's not. When he's not the main thing, what you do is you just, what do I want to do? And you put it in your calendar. And then at the, you might look and go, well, I should, you know, I should spend some time praying. I should read my Bible. And you look, is there anywhere to put that? Oh, I don't know. There's, Yeah, right before I, you know, go unconscious at midnight. I'll do my devotions, right? Here's the other way to do it. You look at your day and say, what's the best part of my day that I can give to Jesus Christ? That's what it means for him to be the main thing. What's the best part of my day? Maybe it's the morning. Maybe it's night out. People say, yeah, best thing, best best time of my day is in the morning. Get up, do my devotions. Man, that ain't me. It's not the best part of my day. Like 11 o'clock at night's the best part of my day. But But you look at your day and you say, I'm going to start with Jesus and then I'm going to backfill everything else. That's how you do it when he's your main thing. It means you put him first in in your thoughts. Like imagine that for a minute. Imagine that in your thoughts, you're always engaged. You're thinking about the word of God When someone says something to you, your first thought is, how would Jesus Christ respond to that? What would he say? If someone cut Jesus off the road, how would he respond? If someone cuts in front of him, you know, in line, how would Jesus do if somebody said that rude thing? If somebody, you know, and you, you begin to respond, you begin to think that way first in your thoughts and first in the words that come out of your mouth. That's kind of a big one. If we put them first in the words that come out of our mouth, first in our relationships, so that when we're with people, the first question we ask is not, what do I want to get from them today? But what does God want to give to them? Like, imagine for a minute that that was your marriage. Imagine that every interaction in your marriage, both on the part of you and your spouse, was, what does Jesus want to give to them through me? How does God want to bless my kids? How does God want to bless the person sitting next to me? If we put Christ first in our money, put him first in our job, when we're stressed, when when we're anxious, when life is tough, it means we put him first in those things, in in our body. It means you make the main thing your main thing. And you have to make a decision. Because if you don't decide, then just life will decide for you. And it won't be, it won't be Jesus. This summer uh, I get to go, uh, this, is our 20, this is our 21st year uh, for my family to go to uh, the beach. We go to Gearhart for a week every year and we uh, spend the week with my wife's family. So uh, my wife's parents are there. And then she has a sister with a family, and they're there. And our family's there. She has a brother with a wife and kids, another brother with a wife and kids, and another brother. And then there are people who come and stay, and I don't even know who they are. Uh, But they'll come and stay. And so at the house, so it's it's I think the house is like... 5,500 square feet. It's got seven bedrooms and four bathrooms, which isn't enough. And, um, so we're there for a week. We're there together and some families come and some go, but we've done this for 21 years. It's really cool. And, um, at one point this summer, there was 35 people in the house. It was a, it was a full house. And, For me, it's always a bit of a challenge because now I really love being with people and conversing. But I'm the kind of person who, I need a little just quiet time every now and then to gather my thoughts. That ain't the place where stuff like that happens. But I was thinking, um, one day I'm sitting in the living room, and there's a lot of rooms in the house. But from sitting in the living room, I can hear at any given point, Anywhere from four to five conversations going on, and I can hear them. I can hear every word that's going on. And I'm like, I've just kind of got the kind of brain that wants to cue. I want to listen to every conversation that's going on. So I'm sitting there in the living room, and I'm here, you know, they're, they're talking about politics, and, you know, there's another conversation in another room it's going on about school. There, So I'm kind of listening, and my father-in-law comes and sits down next to me on the couch. And you'd have to know my, my wife's father, because... He is just an amazing man. He is just... And, and when he sits down, you know, you just... I, he sits down and he starts to talk. And I think to myself, I can hear... I can... If I don't look at a person and watch their lips flapping... I'm not going to, I'm just going to hear all the other conversations, right? And then this will happen. Have you ever done this? Like there's someone's talking to you and you could see they're talking and they're making eye contact and you catch every few words and then you hear that and you hear that. And then there's a, the last thing you hear is, so what do you think about that? And it gets quiet, right? (laughs) You're like, I don't know. I don't know how to respond. And here's the thing I thought as my father-in-law sat down and talked to me, I thought, if I don't focus on him right now, if I don't focus on him then I'm going to miss. I'm going to miss it. I'm going to miss what he has to say. So I need to shut everything else out and I need to focus on him right here and right now. And I guess what I'm telling you is this. We live in a world full of voices, full of things that want your attention. Every day, hundreds of things that want, that are calling out for your attention and for your affection. They want to be the main thing in your life. And if you don't make the decision if you don't decide to make the main thing your main thing, then it won't happen. You have to make the decision. So my question for you to put out there is this, just as we close. What would be on a practical, I'm just trying to make this practical for you. What would be one thing that you could do? Right, Just one thing. What would be one thing you could do this week to make Jesus on a practical level the main thing in your life? One thing. So for some of you, it might be, I need to start praying every day. That would be a good way for me to make Jesus the main thing. I need to start talking to him every day. Maybe for some of you, it would be reading your Bible. I need to open God's word, because that's how he speaks to me. Open the word of God and listen to the voice of God. What would be one thing? Maybe it's, maybe it's practicing generosity. Maybe, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's meditating on scripture. But what would be one thing that you could do this week in the next seven days to make the main thing your main thing?